0: Our second lesson for today is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. I'll begin reading at verse 31. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus called the Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we are here today because we want to worship You. And You are indeed worthy of all of our worship. We are here today because we want to truly live as Your people in this world. God, take us and make us completely Yours. We pray, God, that whatever is in us that is not of Jesus Christ you will destroy. We have prayed this morning already, God, that your kingdom would come here on this earth just like it's presently being lived out in heaven today. So we quickly acknowledge that for your kingdom to come, our kingdoms must all fade away. Give us the grace and the courage to abandon our lives our will, our way to you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us this day. In the redeeming name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Most of us have spent a lot of time and energy and effort in making sure that we we hide our mistakes, our misdeeds, our missteps from the people around us. There was one particular point in my life when I remember taking one of my mistakes, one of my misdeeds, one of my missteps, and, and I put it on display for what you might could say was a whole congregation to see it. They tell me, that confession is good for the soul, and I think it probably is because the Bible says the same thing. So here I go. I'm going to confess to you that that throughout most of my life, I've really, I've really had a difficulty obeying the speed limit. Now I don't know if any of you will share that issue with me, but uh, I'm better than I used to be. That's grace. I'm better than I. I used to be. I haven't received a speeding ticket since I came to Wesley Memorial, but I've spent a lot of time in the course of my driving career receiving speeding tickets. I probably hold some sort of a record. The very first speeding ticket happened way back when I was in seminary, and I did it right. I got two speeding tickets that one week when I was in seminary. And over the course of my driving life, I continue to get more speeding tickets, and I'm doing better than I used to be, and all of you out there, please observe the posted speed limits, be safe. But I guess throughout most of my life, I've, I've always just been in a hurry. It seems like I'm the only person on the road with a mission. I'm the only person on the road that's, that's driven to get somewhere and do something, so I've always had a tendency to drive too fast on the roads. But one time I took my misstep, my mistake, my misdeed, and I put it on display for almost a whole congregation, you could say, to see. Let me tell you about that episode. It was in my last appointment when I was serving as district superintendent uh, with my office in um, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I was trying to provide leadership for 100 and 67 United Methodist churches in and around Winston-Salem. So I was pretty well known in Winston-Salem. And, of course, I received a speeding ticket over there in Winston-Salem. And I decided that, that I would try to do something about that speeding ticket. I, had, I've, I have paid attorneys in the past to take care of speeding tickets for me. Years ago, when I was pastoring in Charlotte, I, I went and took the course... Uh, to take care of the speeding tickets that I had received, but in this particular instance, I decided it would be good for me if if I went to court and took care of the speeding ticket. I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, I I assumed it was not a lot of work because I had hired attorneys to take care of speeding tickets for me before and I figured I could probably do that, so I decided I would go to court on my court date and plead my case because, of course, I had a good excuse for speeding, to plead my case before the judge. And I uh, went to the courtroom that day in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It was a very humbling experience. If you've, if you've never been in court with a room full of other criminals, it's a very humiliating experience. But this is something I was going to do. And I was grateful. I showed up that morning at 9.30, and I didn't know what time they would call me to defend the charge of speeding and the speeding ticket that I had received. Uh, fortunately, they let the speeders take care of their issues first. So it was about 9.30, I, I got called before the judge. And, and I had worked I had worked on my, my speech that I was going to deliver to the judge. You may not know this, but uh, if you hit me in the right mood, I, I, I can lay some words on you. And I was going to lay some words on that judge and plead my case for that speeding ticket uh, that I had received uh, on 40 there in Winston-Salem. And I I stood up before the bench and I I, I started to talk and she wouldn't even let me talk. The gavel came down and she just ruled improper equipment and told me to pay pay my fine and court cost. and, And she went on to the next case. Well, I guess that was okay. I left. I did what she said. I left, went back to my office, and I went and turned on my computer, and there was an email from the judge. Again, I was district superintendent over 167 churches. I had worshipped and preached in many of those 167 churches, so I was well known in Winston-Salem. And here came the email from that judge, and it said, Dear, dear District Superintendent, it was a pleasure having you in my courtroom this morning. Sometimes um, it's, it's probably good for us to put our misdeeds, our missteps, our mistakes on display for others to see because we need to learn humility and sometimes it takes something like that to help teach us humility. There was a day in the life of the Apostle Peter when he really messed up. There was not only one day in his life when he really messed up. You you recall perhaps how he denied Jesus three times there during what we call Holy Week. But there's another day in Peter's life when Peter really messed up. It's the day that is accounted to us in this text that I read for you a few moments ago. And it's really interesting because it it is accounted here in this text, here in the Gospel of Mark. It is only recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And you need to understand, church, that according to the tradition of the church, and I think it's a very valid tradition, the source for the Gospel of Mark was Peter. You perhaps recall Mark was not one of the twelve. So you should say, wonder where he got his stuff from? Well, according to the tradition of the church, and I think it's a valid tradition, he used Peter as his source. And it's only Mark's Gospel that tells us about this particular day when Peter messed up so royally in the presence of Jesus. And it is rather amazing, but I can see Mark writing his gospel, and when you see Mark writing his gospel, you need to imagine Peter standing over his shoulder, helping him to know what to write. So evidently, Peter said to Mark, tell them about that day. Now all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about this day that occurred here in Caesarea Philippi, It's only Mark's gospel that tells us about how Peter messed up that day. And you see how Peter messed up this day. And I, I think Peter told Mark to make sure we knew about this. Because he knew that somehow, in some ways, it would bring some comfort to us as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. Make sure you notice what's going on on this day in which Peter messed up. Jesus is with His disciples, and others in Caesarea Philippi. Some of you here in this room have been with me to Caesarea Philippi. And it's important to know the geography of Caesarea Philippi. When they're in Caesarea Philippi, they are at the point geographically furthest away from Jerusalem that they ever go. Furthest away from the Sea of Galilee that they ever go. Caesarea Philippi is up in the northern part of the region of the Galilee. And on this day, Jesus and his disciples and some others, they've made their way up to Caesarea Philippi, and something phenomenal takes place up there at Caesarea Philippi. This text that we're looking at this morning really is, many of us believe, the hinge text for the Gospel of Mark. Everything in the Gospel of Mark either flows toward this text or flows from this text. That's how significant this text is. Jesus is with his disciples and some other followers up at Caesarea Philippi. You need to understand Caesarea Philippi was a very cosmopolitan, Greco-Roman, world-Gentile city. It was a center for paganism. And if you go to Caesarea Philippi today, you can see the niches in the side of the mountain where all the images of the pagan gods sat. So Jesus takes his followers up there, and it's there in that center of paganism, rather like a first century Las Vegas or New York City, that Jesus asks his followers, who do people say that I am? And you perhaps remember that text. They compliment Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you're, you're like, they say you're like one of the great prophets, one of the great teachers of Judaism. That wasn't sufficient for Jesus. So then Jesus looks at the disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? And then Peter speaks. Peter, the right-hand man for Jesus. Peter, the spokesperson in the Gospels for the disciples, speaks up quickly. And he says, You are the Messiah. You are the Mashiach. You are the Messiah. And that's the first time in the Gospel of Mark that that important word occurs. Mashiach, Messiah. Christos in the Greek. The anointed one. The deliverer that's sent by God. And it's Peter here in the text that says, you are the Messiah. I am sure that Peter was proud of himself when he got it right on that day. And as soon as Peter made that profession, Jesus decided he would teach them something about what he as Messiah would do. Now you need to keep in mind a lot of the Jews in this age, they were all looking for a Mashiach, a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one that God would send to them as a deliverer. They were looking for someone perhaps that would be an astute teacher. They were looking for someone that would perhaps be a glorious king or a mighty military leader. But it's obvious that's not the role of Messiah that Jesus was going to be fulfilled. So Peter's there feeling pretty proud of himself now that he's given the right answer and said, Jesus, you're the Messiah, that Jesus begins to define what that means. Verse 31 of the text, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite self designation or title for himself, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected. Jesus, none of us want to be rejected. It hurts to be rejected. Jesus has said that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed, Jesus said. This is the first of three prophecies in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says that he will be killed. Now, here in the text, you notice that after He says that He will be rejected and He will suffer, He does say, after three days, rise again. But I think that we know actually the disciples were so shocked by what Jesus said, they don't even hear Him make a reference to being raised after three days. We know that because of the way they respond on that first resurrection morning. The only thing they can hear is that This Messiah is to be rejected and die. But we know that's what Messiah came for, don't we? That's that's not what they were looking for in that age. That, That didn't fit their concept or image of God or Messiah. But we know that's what Messiah came to do. We know that Jesus came as prophet, priest, king, and sacrifice. We talked last week about the centrality of the cross, the centrality of Jesus' self-sacrifice for us. We talked last week about that being the most significant thing that Jesus did. It's clear in the New Testament, if you look at all four Gospels, just look at the amount of space that the Gospels give to the last week, even the last three days of Jesus. They give such an inordinate amount of space to the suffering, death, and burial of Jesus. So the Gospels make it clear that this is the most significant thing about Jesus. And I mentioned to you last week, every time we profess the Creed, we We remind ourselves of that. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. The creeds just jump over his teaching, healing ministry. Because the most significant thing about Jesus was his self-sacrifice for us. But that's not what they were looking for. That didn't fit Peter's image. So at this point... A whole lot of rebuking starts happening here in the text. Peter takes Jesus aside, according to the text, and Peter rebukes Jesus. Can you imagine? Peter rebukes Jesus for such a shocking idea that Messiah would suffer, but then Jesus rebuked Peter. And by the way, that word that's translated rebuked, In the Greek, is the word that is used for how Jesus spoke to demons in the gospel. So Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. It's never a good day when Jesus calls you the devil. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This was so shocking. So shocking. To the disciples but this is why he came on March the 10th I'm gonna begin a three-week study on Wednesday nights about the the death of the Messiah we're gonna look at what the synoptic Gospels Matthew Mark and Luke teach us about the death of the Messiah I would love to have you join me in that zoom study just send me an email and I'll make sure you you get the zoom invitation and for those three Wednesday nights beginning on March the 10th from 7.15 to about 8.15 we'll, we'll talk about the death of the Messiah. He came to empty Himself for us. We are in the Lenten season. Part of what we pray for during the Lenten season is that we fall in love all over again or fall in love more deeply with the crucified one. It's always been one of my personal prayers. It's always been one of my personal prayers that I would never, never outlive my love for Jesus Christ. I would never, never outlive my passion for Jesus Christ. If necessary, before I grow cold, before my love for Jesus Christ becomes commonplace and mediocre, I'd rather leave this world for the world to come. The hymn that we sang just a few moments ago was the the first hymn years ago that led me to think about this. And I hope that you paid close attention to the words of old sacred head now wounded. And you noticed how that hymn climaxed. The third verse, the hymn writer says, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. Then he says, O make me thine forever, and should I fainting be. Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to Thee. The Messiah came to suffer. I hope during the Lenten season we, we fall in love all over again or to a greater extent with the crucified one. Jesus made it clear to the Gospels on this day to the disciples on this day, that He came to suffer. He came to be a sacrifice for us. But then He continues His shocking monologue with the people that day. In verse 34, after He has shocked the disciples, it says He called the crowd to Himself. And then when He called the crowd to Himself, what He says to the crowd is this. Not only will there be a cross for Messiah... There will be a cross for you too if you seek to be one of the Messiah's followers. So he called the crowd to himself and he says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, learn how to say no to themselves, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, their cross, that Roman instrument, not Jewish instrument, that Roman instrument of great One of the heroes, the modern heroes of the Christian faith is Jim Elliott. Perhaps you've heard the name Jim Elliott. In in the 1950s, Jim Elliott became a missionary with the Wycliffe Bible Translators. That's an organization that is still working to try and make sure that every language group in the world can have the scriptures in their language. And Jim Elliott... Was working with the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he wanted to go work among the Alca Indians of Ecuador. So he flew the airplane with some colleagues to Ecuador in 1956, and after he landed there among the Alca Indians, and it really was—it was fear, it was misunderstanding, it was distrust. The Alca Indians arrowed and speared Jim Elliot and his colleagues to death. So Jim Elliot and his colleagues there became Christian martyrs among the Alka Indians. Now the story has a wonderful ending. His wife was Elizabeth Elliot, uh, and she eventually marries again. She actually married one of the professors who is associated with a seminary. It happens to be a seminary, one that Clark and I was affiliated with. And Elizabeth Elliot, after the death of her husband, Jim, uh, learned the language, and she picked up where her husband left off, and she went and took the gospel and the scriptures to the Alka Indians. But Jim Elliot is a modern martyr for the Christian faith. You know, I don't know, I can't say one way or another, whether or not you and I will ever be called on to die for our faith in Jesus Christ. But we need to remember, even though that's unusual here in this society, that the Christian religion is still the most persecuted religion on planet earth. The most conservative estimate is about 90,000 Christians every year die for their faith in Jesus Christ. That's one Christian dies as a martyr every six minutes. Now, we can't imagine that happening here in our nation, but who knows? Christians throughout our history have been called on to pick up their cross and to die for Jesus Christ. It could happen. But one thing I know this morning is this. Jesus may not be asking us this morning to die for Him, That Jesus is certainly asking us this morning to live for him.